Hi, I'm Lisa Gale, and you're listening to The Podcast for Texas Holistic Educators. So many parents and teachers these days have big concerns about the current state of modern education and are seeking a healthier way, one that addresses kids' whole brain needs as well as their emotional, physical, and spiritual needs. Texas Holistic Educators connect parents and teachers across the state who are cultivating healthy practices in their schools and homes with the intention of empowering others to do the same. My guest today is Marissa Rodriguez. Marissa is a certified brain health coach and parent trainer, a health and wellness educator, an international speaker. She has worked with challenging children all over the world in both public and private schools, churches, and preschools. She's founded an organization called Quirky Kids to help parents to navigate their child's diagnosis, anxiety issues, learning struggles, sensory concerns, or chronic behavior challenges. In her online parent coaching program, The Quirky Kid System, Marissa helps families finally get to the bottom of the four major underlying issues that affect most chronically challenged children. So welcome, Marissa. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) This is so much fun. I'm so excited. (laughs) I am excited too, and I just appreciate you being here. So tell us about the work that you are doing in education. Yes. Well, um, like you said, I have this amazing program called the Quirky Kids System. It's an online parent coaching program, but we also have a lot of other resources for families. So I have a ton of short videos just packed full of tips and tricks um, from myself and uh, a lot of different people in the field, IEP advocates and um, different therapists. And then I also do different trainings all over daycares, preschools, all over the place, but now primarily in Texas. And what we do is we take families who are absolutely drowning. They are isolated a lot of times. They are getting complaints from teachers. Teachers are, I mean, are just completely overwhelmed by a child's needs. And we help get the right kind of team around the child, but also the parents and the teachers, and then um, we figure out what do they need. Do they need some outside help? Do they need some um, things at home? Like you said, the four issues that we address that we we can definitely do in a home setting. Does the teacher need different types of support? So the best thing about this is it can happen very, very fast for families. And so upon coming in to the program, it, within a couple of weeks, we can already start to see changes, but most certainly um, we look for that three-month mark, seeing some pretty drastic changes at home and at school. So that's, that's pretty much what we do. Wow. So what you're doing is you're taking the child's support system and creating a support system around them, which is really, yes, really cool. Yes. Um, and I, I'm loving this, so I want to hear more about it. And first, I just wanted to ask you, like, what was your childhood like? I know you mentioned before that maybe you had some struggles. Oh, so yeah. Would you like to talk about that? 
Yes. Well, I was a quirky kid, and I had uh, different processing issues that I was diagnosed with. I definitely had anxiety that was never really understood or, or known as anxiety, and so that wasn't addressed. And then later on, I was finally diagnosed with ADHD. And it wasn't until I was in the fourth grade did the issues that I was having really start to show up to where I, I was significantly um, getting behind compared to my peers. And so often, this is what we find with kids. But normally, it's in first grade or second grade that, you know, the teacher's throwing up their hands and saying, okay, you know, you need you know, to do this X, Y, and Z, and they're terrifying parents, and it's like, wait, we haven't heard anything up until now, and now they're being told they need to go see if ADHD is an issue, or autism, or, you know, something to handle these major, major behavior issues, and the reason why there's this massive collision is because there are some underlying things going on in this child that have never been addressed. And um, something very interesting, I was just at a pediatric clinic a couple months ago, and this clinic actually has a school run by occupational therapists. Um, it's called uh, em Empowered Pediatric Services, and they have this school. And I was talking to the director there, Brittany, and I told her about, you know, me being in fourth grade and my issues not being addressed then. And she said, well, that's actually very common. For kids who have above average intelligence, they can kind of hang with that curriculum load until about fourth grade, and that seems to be the trigger year. And what was significant for me was a few years ago, I had my brain scanned by Amen Clinics. I'm a brain health coach through them, certified through them. And I also did some intelligence testing. And although I 100% thought I was stupid my whole life. You know, I had ADHD. I was just, you know, incapable of paying attention and, and uh, not being impulsive. I found out that I have an above-average brain and above-average intelligence. And so, you know, for me, I was completely misunderstood by myself and everybody around me for 30-something years until I was, my needs were finally understood and I, I was able to, um, finished addressing my, my underlying issues, which just completely changed my life. Wow. How did that feel? I'm wondering, just going through that process of self-discovery and learning those things about yourself for maybe the first time. How, how has that affected how you think about the way you learn? Yes. Well, Lisa, <laughs> it was the most uh, positive identity crisis ever, is what I told the counselor that I went to afterwards, sitting in, in her <laughs> office. Um, you know, when you get a label, you really start to live under the comfort of that label and also under the restrictions of that label. And even though I had tried very hard not to, when that, that label got released from me, I was angry. I was, and, but I didn't know who I was anymore because, you know, if I wasn't impulsive, who was I? I was wild. I, there were good things that I was known for for being impulsive. There were also really bad things I was known for. And so it was, it was definitely life-altering. The major change came when I was told that all of my issues for 30-some years were basically happening because I was chronically low in two nutrient deficiencies. 
And I had an overnight experience of this identity change. And so I took those. I ordered them from Amazon, okay? It was, it was so humbling. The fix all these years was $20 worth of supplements to amino acids that completely changed my life. And, um, it, yeah, so it was, it was completely shocking. And that is what we see in the kids that go through my program in three months we reassess them. We have children that are undiagnosed of autism in three months. We also have children who maintain their autism diagnosis, but their symptoms are so much less, those hard um, sensory overload symptoms and the chronic constipation and the gut issues and the, um, just so much of the stimming and the things that go along with autism. Um, we can lessen those and improve the quality of our lives. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Wow. Um, I mean, the, everything that you're sharing just makes perfect sense to me as a holistic educator. And I guess it's just, it must be really affirming for parents to hear you talk about that and to know that this work that you're doing now really gives hope their child doesn't have to be in their 30s learning about who they are and how they learn for the first time in their lives. So um, do you want to talk a little bit about just holistic um, education just uh, as a a kind of idea and a concept and what it means to you and how you're actually bringing those concepts into your work? Yes. You know, for educationally speaking, there are plenty of kids who can just go along with mainstream uh, education and, and learn appropriately. But what I find is we have bookends. We have um, statistically, it's one in, one in six children are diagnosed with some sort of disorder. So that could be autism, ADHD, um, learning disabilities, hearing impairments, things like that. Um, and that is between the ages of 3 and 17. And that, that's a 10-year-old statistic, so realistically it's probably more like 1 in 4. And that's what I find in the classroom. And then we have um, the gifted child. And there's normally one, maybe two kids that are on that other end of the bookend. We also have, somewhere in between all of this, 1 in 5 children diagnosed with a mental health disorder and generalized anxiety being on the top of that list. One in five is a ton of kids. And what we also see is the apple doesn't fall far from the tree with that. One in 13 uh, adults are struggling with anxiety. And, and anxiety, I like to think of it as highly genetic and highly contagious. You know, if you are in a room with somebody who's anxious, you're going to be a little bit more anxious. And so, um, you know, some of these kids might just have these symptoms because of their parent, and some of it might be, might be genetic, like it is in my family for myself and, and my kids. And so what ends up happening is if there's not proper support for the bookends, the, the, the two ends of this, the whole class suffers. The, the ones that should be, you know, learning are distracted by, you know, very impulsive behaviors happening to a lot of classrooms. Um, the, the gifted child is not challenged in, um, in continuing forward in the things that they are highly talented in. And so, what I have seen over the years of sitting in the classrooms, teaching in the classrooms, directing programs, is that there is a solution to this, and it is 
a holistic way of looking at things. And so in the school system, I would say social-emotional um, development and, and different resources help children identify with their needs and communicate them, and also uh, brain integration strategies that use a child's whole body to learn and to interact and to move and get the appropriate strength that it needs to even sit up in a chair and even write a pencil. And this is where I, just to put it on a, on a real-life daily basis, this is what moms are laying in their beds at night so concerned about, you know, thinking, how am I going to help my kid? How, what is wrong with them? You know, they're Googling <laughs> all these things, all these symptoms. And what nobody is telling this parent is it's the four underlying issues. And what are those? They are the health and nutrition of the child. We have children who have rashes all over their bodies, big shiners underneath their eyes, bloated bellies. They're chronically constipated or, or they have chronic diarrhea. They um, only eat, you know, only want to eat sugar, carbs, and dairy. They might have candida, which makes them have a really itchy bottom or cradle cap all the time. And if a child is not digesting food properly, they don't get the nutrients in their brain that they need to rev them up and to calm them down. So if your child has any type of genetic underlying issues for ADHD or autism or OCD or, or um, anxiety, this is just going to influence that and make it even worse. So we've got the health and nutrition category. And then we look at sensory integration. And we look at, okay, this is just a child who the world feels like it's coming at them rather than they're in the world and they are enjoying the world. And this was me. Well, I had, I had major health and nutrition issues too, but for me, I couldn't get in a pool um, because the water was always too cold. I'd throw, I'd throw fit. Um, if, if even the air conditioning would come on my skin, I would feel more irritable because I would feel I was very, very sensitive to hot and cold temperatures. Um, if the lawnmower is outside and there's that buzzing, I can't focus, I can't concentrate, and I'm getting real grumpy and somebody's about to get, somebody's about to get yelled at because I can fly off the handle really easy. And what so many families, a, a lot of people are starting to learn about sensory integration, but there's one key thing that I don't hear a lot of people saying, and that is sensory is, has a best friend, and that best friend is anxiety. So, Lisa, if you take a child that was in one of your programs and you look at them and they are running around like crazy and you can't get them to stop, you can't get them to sit in timeout, you can't, you can't get them to do anything, you have to understand that that child's central nervous system is hot. It is wired. And if, they are, if they're in that condition, they are operating fight, flight, or freeze in the downstairs part of their brain to some capacity, some percentage. And oftentimes, it's a high percentage. So how much is this child actually able to learn if they're in flight, fight, or freeze, where you can't even access the top part of their brain. It actually detaches, not, not physically, but the, the connections actually detach so that you can survive and not think. And so we have kids that are, could be smart, really smart, like me, but they are only able to access 
you know, what, what percentage? 42%, 13%, 80%? And we have to ask ourselves as parents and teachers, are we okay with this? Or are we willing to make some massive, sometimes hard, sometimes really easy and fun changes in their lifetime over a short period of time to see if, you know, see if my hypothesis is right here, if their underlying issues are contributing to these things. So, so that's sensory integration. Then the next one is anxiety and or trauma, if the child's gone through any type of trauma. Now, anxiety can stand, it can be attached to nutritional issues. I know that when I consumed gluten, my anxiety flared. Um, and the root reason for that is because I have a, a broken gene that doesn't allow me to process gluten, even though I'm not celiac disease. So, so anxiety can be tied in with the health and nutritional things. It can be tied in, like I said, in the sensory things, but it can also stand alone. And so um, we, we had genetic testing done on all of our family members because, you know, we got a lot of quirks around here in the Rodriguez household. And what we found is um, our family, or a few of my kids, they have uh, a broken genes that can predispose them for anxiety and depression, the same type that I have. Well, the type of um, anxiety and depression that I was diagnosed with happened because I would have OCD-like fears. And so this is where phobias can come on, and, and this is where um, you just can't get off of a thought. You just keep stewing on things, stewing on things. Uh, behaviorally, a lot of, and I'm going to cover this because this, this happens to so many children that we work with. They cannot shift their thoughts. They cannot go from thinking one thing and then you, you, you know, put your Legos down. We got to get in the car and go pick up your sister from dance. And it's like, there's no way they're going to get in that car without a tantrum. Um, these kids in the schools, they can't transition from music time to um, painting time. They, or, or they can't, you know, they just can't transition. And so what do we say? Okay, well, this looks like ADHD, or this looks like sensory processing disorder. Well, this also looks like anxiety. And when it comes down to it, because we've had so many children go through the program now, well, we, what it comes down to is if you just calm down this anxiety and support their body, a lot of the hyperactivity, the defiance, the withdrawal, the, the um, you know, uh, Lisa, do you ever, have you ever had a kid where they are just completely overloaded and, and you're trying to, you know, help them through their fear or their anger and there's like, they are not going to access any logic. <laughs> have you had a few of those kids? Oh yeah. Self-included. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. Well, this is, you know, you use these social emotional development strategies and brain integration strategies. If you're just using those, it's still going to be very hard for this child to work through their anxiety. However, if you support them um, nutritionally, if you support them sensory-wise, now their body's actually working for them rather than against them, and now they can actually utilize these good parenting techniques or, or teacher techniques that, that you're using. So anxiety can look like a lot of things, and for me, it mimics ADHD my whole life. And I've seen it mimic autism. I've seen it uh, mimic OCD. Those are the main three. And so it's something for parents to think about. That actually, that information right there can save you a lot of money and a lot of heartache um, and a lot of false diagnoses if, if parents start to look into that. Um, 
Yeah. So, and then the last part of anxiety is trauma. And of course, with trauma, you know, my background primarily was working with uh, kids out of foster care and kids who've been adopted. That's where my training started. And so, you know, we think of trauma and we think of these big traumas. But kids can have little traumas, too, that change the wiring in their brain. And that could be a grandparent dying. That could be um, mom and dad are fighting or mom and dad just got in a divorce. And they don't know how to cope with the stress in front of them. And so, you know, we don't know that as teachers. They come in and they're just being rowdy and you're trying to put them in timeout. But what they really need to say is, I'm scared. I'm afraid. And so if we're not utilizing social-emotional programs, now we're punishing the kids who ideally, if we knew what was going on, we would never, ever punish them. Mm-hmm. So we have that going on. And then the last category is um, lagging skills or underdeveloped skills. And I, I did a lot of different training from Dr. Ross Green. I've heard um, him talked about in a few of other of your podcasts. He's amazing. And he really helps parents understand and teachers understand how to help children problem solve and how to look at their behaviors and say, okay, if this is happening all the time, this is predictable. And so this isn't, we don't need to do this every day. This child simply doesn't have the skills to overcome this particular obstacle in life. And so a little tip here for parents, wherever you feel like you are walking around on eggshells around your child, that is where you have a lagging skill. So, you know, like they're playing in the family room and, a sibling, one of, one of your other kids walks into the room and you just kind of get the hair on the back of your neck and you're thinking, oh gosh, okay, they're going to explode right now. If you're feeling that, that child that you're so afraid of that massive explosion happening has a lagging skill. They don't know how to share. They don't know how to transition. And if you take that down, they don't know how to transition their thought or show empathy or, you know, X, Y, Z. And so we can take a, a systematic method that's easy for families, it's natural, to help increase those skills. So when we put all of these things together, um, I'll give you an example. We had, um, we had a child here in Houston, cute little guy. He was four years old, and he actually was within a day of getting kicked out of his daycare. So uh, parents hired me, and I actually went in to go observe him in his class, and I could see why he was going to be kicked out. I watched him on the playground. He plowed over about four kids who were all crying. He pushed another child off of this ledge thing that uh, it was more of like a serious injury. He had... Um, three different scars on his forehead where he had had stitches at different times. And, of course, he wasn't able to sit in circle time. Of course, he wasn't able to transition except for two different parts of the day that he really enjoyed, and he would, he would go and do those things just fine. So, you know, we basically had to put a team together, and we had to say, okay, what does this kid need? Okay, so the parents started working on all the underlying issues, and like what happens in so many different preschools, the teachers are saying, I'm burnt, I'm toast, other parents are ticked off, we can't handle this, we don't have the resources to handle this. And so to go back to the original question and my very long answer here, this is the area where 
I see the most development needed, especially for early education um, centers, but also, but also in the school system. Teachers have to understand sensory integration. And I, I teach in a lot, I do a lot of trainings at preschools. And I always take a poll in the beginning. How many have heard of the word sensory integration? And anywhere from um, 12 to 14 teachers being in the room to hundreds of teachers being in the room, maybe, you know, let's say 5 to 10% of the teachers have heard the word. And then as we go through, and I, I put them um, in all these sensory simulators, so, and I put them through different exercises that they have to move around so they actually feel what it feels like to be a child with sensory issues and motor challenges. It's amazing. Um, but what we find is these teachers actually, the ones that did know, had no clue what it really is. They had no clue that it was attached to anxiety. And Lisa, could I just tell you a, a short story real quick because it's, this is a good one. Do I have time to do that? Absolutely. Would love that. Okay. So I was in this training, and um, I, I had this um, older teacher. She was there. So I put all these, these simulators on, on them, and I had them uh, fold a piece of paper, and they were supposed to follow my instructions. Well, I had gloves, uh, like uh, gardening gloves on them. I had this really loud clip to, to, to simulate uh, sensory overload, and I had them wear these uh, reader glasses, so everything was just a little bit blurry. And then I, the last thing is I put a mask on their face, like a, a, a medical mask over their face to simulate anxiety. So this teacher, um, she was really kind of grumpy. She, she did not love challenging children in her classroom, nor was she really wanting to learn how to do that. So I put her through the simulation, and I turned off the very loud, annoying clip, and I said, how do you feel right now? And she shot back, so mean, I want to hit you. And I said, that is why your kid hit. And we just sat there in the silence of all of that, the impact of how annoyed all of us were because of that sound and all of this stuff on our skin. And she got it. And so that teacher went on to, I mean, she's like my number one salesperson um, mm. just to get us to families. But until you understand what this feels like in your body, you're going to just think it's bad behavior because it looks like bad behavior, but it's not. And so um, I was able to work with that facility. We just really added activity to everything that we're doing. Hey, if we're walking to um, this particular teacher had a hard time moving her classroom, her class from the classroom to the playground. And so she would make them walk in a straight line and everybody was touching the walls. And so I said, okay, well, Will it hurt them if they touch the walls? Well, I guess not. So we had them, like, do different things, like push on the wall, and we had them do, you know, little stomping exercises. And so instead of trying to keep them quiet, she had them in an orderly way, you know, go to the playground, and it eliminated the issues. So, you know, it, just like we talked about predictable behavior with kids, a teacher can look and say, okay, where are we having predictable issues here, and how do I need to increase their skills? To overcome these, and what do we need? Well, we can't deal with the nutrition stuff, but we can deal with anxiety, we can deal with sensory, and we can deal with um, skill-improving different methods. So that was my very long answer to um, your short question. 
Yeah, no, that was um, really helpful and um, very clear and generous. I feel like you shared a tremendous amount of very useful information. In particular, well, all of it really, Marissa, but where you talk about sensory integration and the educational opportunity that we have there, that really resonates. I agree with you. Very mm-hmm. few um, very few people in early education have heard the terminology, and those who have don't really know what it means or how it translates into their classroom practices. Yes, and, so, and Lisa, this is where I see the disconnect and the collision. As I've talked to different kindergarten teachers especially, they assume that the early education community is doing this. The early education community assumes that, oh, they're just going to go to kindergarten and learn to read and write. But what they don't always understand is that in order to read and write, they have to have fine motor skills. So they have to pinch a lot of stuff. They have to feel a lot of different textures. They have to have strength, so they have to be climbing on things. I've gone into daycare centers that don't have anything for kids to climb on, anything for them to pull their weight. Well, how do they sit in a chair? Well, it's because they have core strength to sit, to sit up. And so, you know, when they're sitting in circle time and they have a kid who's constantly leaning or laying, that's a kid who needs to be on all fours as much as possible strengthening that core strength. So you have them crawl to different things and push things in the classroom if you see that in a child. So, yeah, so there's, there's a complete disconnect um, in a large, not all, I will say never, never all, but in a large majority of, uh, of institutions. So, so if someone is hearing this and they're thinking, well, that's my child. <laughs> my teacher mm-hmm. says those, or my child's teacher says those kind of things about them. What would you say to that parent is the most important thing that they can do, take action on? The very, very most important thing that you can do is be vulnerable. The scariest thing for a lot of these families and what really prevents them is the fears that, that they have, and the answers are there. I mean, the answers are, are quite simple, and obviously I have a parent coaching program that teaches those, but what actually stops families from doing this? They think that their kid is just going to grow out of it. They think, well, the doctor just said he had autism or ADHD, so this is just how it's going to be, and the teachers just need to figure it out. Um, And the truth is, that's not the truth anymore. Never before in history have we had so many answers. They're newer answers. A lot of them, in 2016, they had a major discovery where they were winning, you know, the Nobel Peace Prize for it. And it was connecting brain information that it's connected to the gut and the brain and all of these things. So a lot of what we have, and actually what I teach in my program, has really come out in the past 10 years and really become available for families in the past five years. And that's why so many people don't know about it yet, and that's okay. But if, if they could just be vulnerable to have that meeting with the teacher and not, you know, waylay on them of, um, you know, being so offended that, you know, you don't understand my kid or all of this. And then also for the teacher, this is the other part, 
how do you say to that family, I think that there's a problem here? And I spent two years of my life being the one to have that conversation. And I can probably tell you about 100% of those people, I am on their crap list of people. Because how do you tell a parent that the right way? But of the parents that I, that I did, I didn't stop with just saying, hey, I think there's a problem. I threw every, all my arms around them. I threw support around them. And eventually I built my parent coaching program to put around them. And so what can teachers do? You don't need to do that. There's tons of resources that other people can do. But you can then get them the help that they need. And I think every single teacher needs to, especially early education teacher, needs to understand that you can tell the parent you can get free speech therapy. Speech is where we catch a lot of kids from either ECI or at three years old and over, you would call the elementary school that they're zoned for and ask for a, a speech evaluation from the speech pathologist and they can go in for a screening. At that point, if there's any suspicion of autism and that teacher feels like, okay, we can't, you never say, I'm, su- I'm suspecting autism here. We're not qualified to say that. But if you're suspecting autism, you get them to go to that speech, the school system's going to pick up on that, and they're going to do the whole battery of testing for autism. Um, so they need to, they, they need to do that. Um, there's other services that you can get through the school system starting at three years old on their third birthday, but uh, speech is the main one that they're going to give during that time. If there's major, major issues going on, that child is not going to be served well in in a, a normal daycare classroom, they need to get into a PPCD program or, or some type of special needs program, and they can do that for free at three years old. Um, and so, it's, you know, they're not always going to be perfect programs, but some of them are stellar. So I think it's really important, just to recap here, for that teacher to say what they need to say in the most respectful manner, never accusing, and all, and asking them, are you seeing issues at home? Hey, this is a safe place. We're teaming up with you. We do have some concerns, but we have a whole lot of hope for your kid, and there's so much hope that, um, that you can have for the long run. We just need to hit this head on so you don't have issues later is typically something of what I would say. And then, yeah. um, oh, and then, oh, Lisa, last one, and the occupational therapist. If there's behavior issues or learning issues, the, the number one go-to for that, for me in my world, is an occupation, a sensory-based occupational therapist. Okay. So you, you've outlined quite a few amazing resources there, and I absolutely resonate with you about the messaging that teachers and educators are using when they're having conversations with parents. And, and I do just want to point out from the teacher's um, perspective, sensory processing and or brain health and development is not something that most teachers, if they are in mainstream education, they have received little to no training on those really important matters. And so teachers need to reach out and find their own training and connect with people like Marissa because it's going to help them feel a whole lot better about the job that they're doing. Oh, and and it's fun. 
It makes it so much more fun. Wouldn't you rather be cultivating a child rather than yelling at them and trying to figure out how to get them to sit in time out? Or it's so Absolutely. much more fun. Absolutely. You're so spot on. And for, for the parents, I think you touched on something really sensitive. And so I just wanted to ask you about this a little bit more. So you mentioned vulnerability and parents remaining in a, a space of vulnerability. And, you know, I've been in a number of those conversations with parents who are mm-hmm. hearing in, in the early care setting, they're hearing this for the first time often. Right, especially for their first child, yes. Yeah, and so there is this natural tendency. I'm a mom, I have three kids, and, you know, my oldest, when he was three years old, I was getting the phone calls from school. I was driving up to his preschool in fear That's of awful. what I might hear, right? It's awful, um, yes, it's awful. It, it, it is, and so... Um, what would you say to that parent who's natural, you know, mama bear kicks in and that natural, you know, I want to defend. You mentioned Mm -hmm. fight, flight, freeze. When Mm -hmm. that gets kicked in for mama bear, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. what would you say to that mom who has, and I say mom, but it could be a dad as well, who is hearing for the first time, the teacher has said it as clearly and respectfully and compassionately as he or she possibly can, and yet the parent does not want to hear it. Is there anything at all that you could say to that parent that might help them relax into a little more vulnerability and receptivity? Absolutely. I would say your kid is going to be okay. I would say your kid is going to be okay. You have to keep that so deep in your mind and in your heart, but then you also need to back it up with action. Okay? We can't just say our kid is going to be okay and then let life keep going. And so we have to look, and here's a little tip that I give to my parents. We have to look at the developmental season of kids. Okay, so we know that life was never intended to be perfect for us, ever, okay? So we know that when two-year-olds go to be three-year-olds, we get Mr. or Mrs. Bossy Pants, and they just think they're the little president of our houses. When kids turn six, they start exploring truth and exploring um, different stories in their mind and how it's developing, and so we might have some new lying issues coming on around that age. At eight years old, I get a ton of different calls from families because this is the major, major year where everything is going to intensify. So if we have a child who withdraws, they're really going to withdraw if they tend to do that. If they tend to be more explosive or violent or, or um, aggressive, impulsive, that is going to extremely intensify, especially if they have a compromised brain, like if they were born on drugs or from our foster adoptive community. And then, and then on through other ages, 10 through 12 is a little bit rough too, and then again at 16. So we, we have these seasons. But what happens in these normal developing seasons is the child is gradually working through them, and it might take a few months, but we're getting somewhere. We're getting improvement. But let's look at the statistics again. One in six, kind of one in four, you know, with the developmental issues, one in five. This is so many families. So you have to realize you are not alone, even though you feel very alone. Now we look at 
let's just look at their school year, Lisa. And we have, um, let's say we've got four-ish months of semesters. If your child's body is wired with effects of nutritional deficiencies, uh, sensory issues, anxiety issues, if they're learning, what percentage are they learning from? And then now each semester they have whole new expectations of what they're supposed to be able to do academically. And so the load gets heavier and heavier, but their skills have not developed because they're not learning at the fullest capacity of themselves. So let's just take the emotion out of, okay, your kid's not okay, and I just got a laundry list of things that they did wrong this day, and you're saying my kid is bad. Let's just compartmentalize the feelings. We can have a good cry about that on the car ride home. But let's just look at this logically and say, okay, well, I now understand that there's four main underlying issues that we could address and potentially even see major changes happening within a week or two weeks or three months and most certainly by six months. Well, why don't we just try some of these things? Um, do it outside of my coaching program. Just try some of these things and um, see what you can do. Your kid is going to be okay. The environment that we live in is not the same environment that our grandparents raised our parents in who raised us in. We have so much more against us in the areas of what we, the activities that we do and do not do every day that's affecting kids, just culturally, not just in your family. It's every family, okay? Every kid is, like, watching TV too much or every kid's not playing outside enough. Um, the, there's so much crap in our foods and um, chemical exposure. They, they just had a huge study that showed um, in an umbilical cord over 200 chemicals, and it actually topped out, they only tested for 200 chemicals, and it topped out of those chemicals being in the umbilical cord. And those definitely affect our genetics and what our lives are like. So these are things that they aren't, they're not the parents' fault. And we feel so guilty as parents because if our child's not doing well, it's a reflection of us. This is not your child's fault. This is not your fault. But there's something you can do about it. We are not a victim to any of this. You just simply address some underlying issues, and then, you know, you can get out of, get out of the chaos and the heartache and the, the burdens that you're under. Yeah, so that's very helpful. And I agree with you. You know, we have very big challenges um, in our new technological age, but I think that big challenges come with great solutions. And it sounds Absolutely. like what you're providing is one of those great solutions. Yes. You've, yes. you've defined for us what a kid's support team looks like and mm -hmm. you are offering support to really build up that support team. So let's just say we've got, here's a child, just a typical kind of um, experience that you have seen a child and a family have when they come to work with you. What can that parent expect? Yes. Okay. Well, the first thing that you can expect is you're going to get a really big virtual hug. If you're not in my area, which a lot of my parents aren't, you're going to get a ton of support. So we have 
Um, and Lisa, this is the main issue for families is support, really. And all the testimonial videos that we do and everything, the point at which the parents, especially the moms, not really the dads, but the moms start crying is when we talk about the support. So that comes first. We have a private uh, Facebook community, and then they get a ton of support for, for me. We do lots of different messaging. Uh, we can do coaching calls if you get um, that part of the plan. And then uh, you know, I'll just give you an example through a family. I had a family come in that had three quirky kids, all diagnosed with ADHD, all had compromised brains at, at birth. The biological mom did uh, drugs and alcohol. And so um, the parents here, I must add, are like poster child parents. I mean, you can't get any better as parents. And every day with survival, there's holes in their walls everywhere, um, the, the explosive tantrums. One child was severely underweight, 0.08% on the growth chart. She's 12, so tiny, tiny little girl. Um, she would also withdraw. And um, so, I mean, the family, is, <laughs> this mom is just a lover. She just wants to connect, but this little one would withdraw. Um, the youngest one was just all over the place, getting on everybody's nerves. He, he was just intense, constantly moving. So this is, you know, this is a severe situation. So they uh, come in, and they already had a ton of therapy and help, but they really needed help at home. But we did um, add a few different professionals um, for different uh, evaluations and stuff that could give us better clues of what was going on at the root. They did that, and then we got to working. So I have a guide um, within the program, that's a nutritional guide that basically gives parents the tour of these things work, what, what do you need to do, what will work for you, for your unique kid. And so they did that for each, um, each child. And it's, it's a three-month plan um, that I encourage parents to, to go through. So they did that. But right there, um, a ton of the issues changed. The little girl had only gained three pounds in four years, and she gained six pounds in three, I'm sorry, six pounds in four months just on the nutritional plan. And so a lot of families that have ADHD and whose kids are on ADHD meds, getting food into their bodies is really hard because of the medication. So we address that. Okay, so they go through that. We give them tons of support. The moms are all on there supporting each other. And then um, they go through sensory. We, do, we just learn how to strategically play with our kids to give them their own needs. And one thing that happens in families is sensory issues just kind of like spread themselves throughout the family. They're very contagious or um, genetic. And so, um, but everybody's is normally different, and they're normally playing off of each other, so it's just totally chaotic in the home. So we got that taken care of. Um, and then we deal with um, the anxiety and the lagging skills. And the reason why I do this in this specific order is because you can give them really good parenting. You could use the best parenting techniques on this kid. But if they are wired, if their body is wired and it is sick, and it is harboring really bad stuff in there, infections. These kids had a lot of recurring infections. You're, you're really paddling upstream. So we just take a few weeks to get their body working for them rather than against them. And then I use a lot of Dr. Karen Purvis techniques, Dan, Dan Siegel, Dr. Ross Green, 
Um, I use, obviously, I'm a fan of Dr. Amen. I'm certified through him. And so we do a lot of ADHD and autism support um, just through brain integration. And so um, it has been six months. Actually, you can see their testimony on our website, www.yourkidsok.com. And you can kind of hear their, their whole story on there, as well as many other families that have gone through the program. Wow. Um, well, that's amazing. Thank you for the awesome work you've done with that family. Yes. I know you've done so much more with other families, and I'm looking forward to sharing this so that people can connect with you and your work. Wonderful. Now, you mentioned a website. How else can we get in touch with you? Yes. So, um, well, you've, you've got the website, and we've just started doing small courses. We actually have one coming up that helps parents deal with their anxiety. That's something that we do in the course. The course is actually for the whole family because, you know, your child's issues are not happening in a bubble. So everything we do for the challenging child, we can do to better the whole family, which is amazing. I um, am very passionate about getting rid of anxiety. It's the thief of our lives. And so many parents, especially of kids, challenging kids, deal with anxiety and depression. So I have a short course coming up. You can go on my website and sign up for that. It's only 30 bucks, And um, it's a one-time class, and then we'll probably do a series of those if you're really struggling with anxiety. But I'm going to teach you the very quick, quick tips of um, some different supplements and some different things that you can do to get rid of it now <laughs> get the get handle that right now. So they can um, – they can do that. And then lastly, we have a free uh, Facebook community called the Quirky Kids Hub. And I would love for anybody listening to join that, whether you're um, a teacher, a parent, a director, a foster agent, or whoever. Um, it's really for everybody. I put a ton of different resources on there and um, lots of different videos and tips and tricks. So that's what we have. Wonderful. Gosh, um, Marissa, thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for being so generous and sharing that with us. Yes. I'm just so excited to hear about this, and I feel so hopeful and so inspired and re-educated about some really important things. So thank you, Marissa. Yes, and I love the work that you're doing. I've, I've been into, you know, I've seen you live in action at, at a place where you used to direct the program, and it's just really wonderful work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. Well, um, thank you very much, listeners, for being here with us today, and I do hope that you will share this. I'm sure everyone who is listening had either touched something in you or you know someone who needs to hear this. You know someone who needs to know about Marissa and her work, so please be kind and generous and share it with them. Have a wonderful week, everyone.